morning again. For those here, you may notice that it sounded so much clearer today, worship and even the message and or the, the words Jason's speaking, because we got our new speakers finally. And uh, that's a blessing, yes. We've waited, I don't know how many months, but I want to say like eight or ten months for this stuff to come in. So it, uh, a lot of people would have said we picked a horrible time to uh, plan a second church, but we didn't really pick it, the Lord did, so... It was perfect timing, and we had a lot of people help us, so uh, you may not know this, but before we ever even opened the doors of this church for our first service, there was churches from all over Evansville, their pastors met here and prayed over every room in this building, which is a blessing. And then we had Chris at Abba Music, kept providing everything we needed because everything that was ordered what happens whenever you ordered anything last year? It got stuck on a barge out in the middle of the ocean, and we didn't get anything. So we had a lot of help to open up, and uh, now we're excited. I hope you guys are feeling the excitement that's coming along. Uh, I know Jason and I talk a lot about how excited we are about what God's doing, but there truly is a great plan God has for us, uh, not only in-house, but to reach our community and I think we all know churches are put in a place to affect the community around them. And one of the issues you have, at least for our church, and I would say with most is, is we're affecting the community around us very little, if at all. So our our goal is to get to a point where what we have here on Sunday goes out the door the rest of the week, right? Like, Get fed here, go out and feed the rest. Not just come in and get fed and then go home fat and sassy and keeping it to ourselves, right? So, yeah. So we're going to get into Galatians 3. We're going to start in verse 15. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I have actually, I've absolutely loved studying Galatians. With Pastor Chad getting up here and breaking it down. Because I like whenever you get a message out of one scripture like that. And I like learning more and more about it. And... Give us your feedback on it because, you know, it's not for everybody. We want to know what everybody's thinking on it, but uh, it's been exciting to me at least. And I've enjoyed this. Uh, Galatians 3.15 and and Jason preached in Henderson today. And, man, it just set so well for this. So uh, we're going to start in verse 15 there. I'm going to read the scripture and then I'm going to pray. It says, To give a human example, brothers, even with man-made covenant, No one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ, this is what I meant, this is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God. So as to make the promise void. For the inheritance comes by the law. It no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. I I will promise this part. We will clarify all this wording. Because this is one of those scriptures that theologians say is very obscure and and hard for people to understand. So as I'm reading this and you may be like, that's a lot of words I don't really care about. I promise it will make sense shortly. So... Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary or or a mediator. Now a mediator implies more than one, but God is one. The law was then, the law then, contrary to the promises, is, is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are a son of God through uh, faith. 
For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. For you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you for your word, God. I pray that that today you would speak through me, Lord, that your words would come out, not mine. I pray you would prepare our hearts to receive your your word, Lord, and your revelation. And God, let each of us be completely changed by what you're going to speak. In Jesus' name you pray. Amen. Okay, so we're... uh, we're talking about a lot of boring words, sort of. We got a lot of confusion. Uh, you got to remember this was written in a language that's not English. So when translated into English, it sounds like it's a lot of repetitiveness, and it sounds like it is a uh, a very complex word, but it's actually very simple. And the, and the title for today's message, Ryan, is a one-sided covenant. Because that's what the Lord's going to show us here is that the covenant between us and the Lord is a one-sided covenant. Okay? So in verse 15, it starts out, to give a human example, brothers. And I like that he starts it out that way because he's not only going to give an example to us, but he's also talking to the brothers. And you may think, like, what's that mean? Why, Why does that matter? It matters a lot because he's talking to people who are persecuting him. He's talking to people who were hard on him. He was talking to people like Galatia was really hard on Paul. Very hard. Yet, he loved them so much that he says, brothers, listen to me. Right? Hey, I'm talking to you, brothers. I love you. You know, this is what Paul's doing. And I like that he didn't say, forget you guys, I'm out of here. Right? Which a lot of us probably would have. I don't know. You try to kill me, you leave me for dead, I'm probably not coming back to your town. That's all I'm saying. Uh, So it goes on and says, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. A man-made covenant, he's wanting to point out that if it was just a a covenant between two people, it could not be broken. And I'm going to give you a rundown, a quicker version of, of... what the Jewish covenant looked like because you could do a whole message on the, on the Jewish covenant and it is a powerful message and it is uh, it's one that we don't always have because our covenant is is we go up and we make a deal with somebody and if it's broken it's just like oh okay well it's broke it's not the way it worked back then right the word the actual word for covenant is brit and brit means to eat together to share food uh, to prepare a banquet. The further definition is uh, ongoing relationship with a with no appointed end. End, and once you get down to the the food part, to the uh, sharing food and things like that, is what you come up with is the fact that the, whenever they would enter into a covenant, like say Mike and I enter into a covenant, and Mike and I are planning to do life together as families, not not like men do life together now. Okay. This is like, Mike has property, I have property, he has animals, I have animals. I say, Mike, let's do this together. We can be more profitable together than we can apart. So Mike and I go through a ceremony, and in this ceremony, we would take some animals, and we would sacrifice these animals, and we'd split, like, say we take an ox, we'd split that ox in half, and we'd put one piece on one side, one piece on the other side, and we'd walk in between those sacrifices. And when we walked together between those sacrifices, we were now bound into an oath. And when you're bound into that covenant, if you break it, you're saying, like these sacrifices, if I break this covenant, I am to be split in half. It would be splitting yourself in half because you have now became one. And if you break that covenant, you're no longer one. Punishment was death. Covenant back then was a little more serious than now. If you don't pay your bank back, they're not going to kill you. Which is a good thing. But we have to remember that. And, and that covenant was huge. For the Jewish people, making a covenant with one another was a life-saving thought. It was a life-saving event. And it, and it had to happen often where families had to work together. 
Because guess what? We're created that way. We're created as one, not as you know, individuals who go out and do life together. If, if when you study the word and you start seeing, uh, you start seeing the way the word is written and you start seeing the way the Jewish people lived, you start understanding a little bit more about how church should operate, right? So, so that is the reason why a man-made covenant, uh, no one could annul it or add to it once it had been ratified because it was complete. It was made, it's unbreakable. So then it goes on to, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. So whenever it's speaking, it's speaking of Christ as Abraham's offspring, right? And I'm going to, it's where he's referring to is Genesis twenty two eighteen, and it says, In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Right? So this is him saying, because of your faith, as we talked about before in, in Genesis 15, verse 6, he talked about because you believe, you're righteous. Well, because Abraham decided to follow the Lord, it was his offspring, one, that would be blessed. That he would bring all things through. Right? Now, I want you to see how this covenant happens before we get on to verse 17. The way this covenant worked was in Genesis fifteen seven. After God just counted to Abraham righteousness, he says this. He says, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to possess. And he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them, cut them in half, and laid them each half over again uh, against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. So here he is preparing for a covenant. He's cut these animals in half, right? And uh, because God told him to. And it's what he's asking is God's promising him something, but there hasn't been a covenant made. There hasn't been a promise made yet in it. God's told him stuff, there's never been a covenant. So like, if two people agreed in the Jewish times to help each other out, but they, w- they weren't willing to walk through a covenant, you would never trust the other one because they weren't willing to go into covenant with you. Kind of like now, if somebody's shady and you're like, they're like, hey, let's go into business together. You're not going to jump into business with them unless both names are going to equally lose in this. So when Abraham's asking this, he's saying, God, how do I know? Like, we're used to covenants. What's going on? Like, show me something. I need peace of mind that this is going to happen. Anybody ever been there? God, show me. I don't get it. I've been there, right? Good thing is, God has showed us, and we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, so it goes on in, in uh, Genesis fifteen seventeen. It says, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces so now God has taken his spirit between these pieces of meat when the Lord made a covenant with uh, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying to your offspring still one I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river to the great Euphrates the land of Canaanites and so on and all the other ites you get all the ites but only one person passed through. It never tells us Abraham passed through it. That's a whole different kind of covenant than man has. Because I would never pass through a covenant such as that that would consider death for me if the other person wasn't willing to do it. But God said, hey, I'm taking it all on myself. It's me. I am promising this. If it doesn't happen, it's all on me. It's not on you. He didn't say, you have to live up to your end, Abraham. He didn't say that. He said, it's on me. I'll make it happen. That's an amazing covenant. When God said, it's all me. 
not you. But what do we usually do with God is we, we, we get in our mind with God often that we both walked in there and we're both responsible and whenever we mess up, we broke the covenant. To which we'll get into in a little bit more, but it's a one-sided covenant that God made with Abraham and his offspring, which was Jesus. It's a one-sided thing. Verse 17 said, this is what I mean, the law which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For the inheritance comes by the law, or if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Now this is, a, a lot of these words are a little different, but whenever you see that word, whenever he says, uh, Gave, he said that God gave it to Abraham by a promise, right? This wasn't done because of law, because the law didn't exist. He didn't say, Abraham, if you fulfill the law, my covenant will come to pass. There was no law. It's impossible for you to fulfill something that wasn't even there yet, right? So he's trying to tell him, it's, it's all about me. It's, it's the word gave there is Ketcheretia. It's a long word. I'm probably butchering it. But it's a Hebrew, Hebrew word for grace. So it's what God is telling Abraham in that, and what Paul's pointing out was, it was God's grace to Abraham and his covenant. Abraham had nothing to do with it. In fact, as he pointed out in in. Paul points out a little bit more, Abraham wouldn't even knew how to fulfill a, a second half of that because there was no law. He was already following God, right? So, so we look at this and sometimes we think, does this mean I can do whatever I want? And Paul addresses this, but it doesn't. We still have responsibility. We still have to love people. The reason why the law was put into place because we're all jacked up. We're messed up people. Right? We are horrible at love. Okay. Verse 19 says this. Why then the law? It was added because of transgression. And I will uh, quickly explain transgression in case you don't understand it. And Pastor Chad did a great message on it a few years back that Man, one of the best I've ever heard on uh, sin, iniquity, and transgression. But a quick way to explain what transgression is, is I will start out by explaining sin and then iniquity and then transgression. Transgression was actually there before sin, or before we knew what sin was or anything else. But transgression, let's say at the back of the church, I have a target. And I am an archer, and I'm going to hit the target. If I miss the bullseye, I've sinned, right? I've missed the mark. That's the same thing. That's what it means whenever we sin. It means we didn't do right. We, we did not hit the mark, right? So iniquity is a bit way of thinking. So if I'm shooting, trying to hit the mark in the back, and my arrow's bent, I'll never hit the mark. And if I do, it's by happenstance. It wasn't because... I was shooting straight, right? So an easy way for us to understand sin is if, we don't, if we're not doing what we're supposed to do, if we're not loving completely, we've missed the mark. If we have a bent way of thinking, we're not, our thinking doesn't align with Christ, we are in iniquity and we're not going to hit the mark. Transgression means you're out of place. You're not in line with God. So if I'm trying to hit the mark in the very back, yet I'm aiming to the right or to the left, and I'm not where I should be, or maybe I'm in a whole different area, it's impossible to hit the mark. So that's what he's saying. The reason why they had to bring the law, people weren't where they needed to be. They had transgressions. They were out of line with God. Abraham was in line with God. He was following the Lord. Not to say he was perfect, because we know he lied a lot. We know he did. 
but it was counted on to him as righteous because he did believe God. We are going to mess up in life. We will all mess up. We will all fall short. We will all not love the way we should love. That's okay. We, we straighten back up and we hit the mark. We try to hit the mark every time. But because of grace and because of the covenant God made, we still have the promise, right? We still live in that same promise. And this wasn't part of the notes, but it is something that I shared with Jason the other day in prayer that uh, the Lord showed me on Thursday through somebody speaking, and I don't remember who. But uh, when Abraham came out of Ur, and he begins walking towards the promised land, him and his family are going towards the promised land. He was not going back to Ur, right? He was following the Lord wherever the Lord took him. He didn't have a home. His home was a place God promised him that he still didn't have an actual clue of where it was. He knew he had a promise of a home. God told him how fruitful it would be, how beautiful it would be, how his descendants would be more numerous than the stars. But he didn't have it yet. And he kept walking. And he kept going. And he kept following. And the same promise is the same promise God gave us. He said, if you would leave your old life and you follow me, I give you the promise of heaven. But how hard is it for us to actually give up the old life? How often do we go back and visit the things of this world and be distracted by the things of this world and the life instead of focusing straight ahead at the promised land God has promised us? Same covenant Abraham went into with him. God said, I promise you these things. It was his grace, right? So just add that in there. Romans 13.10 says this, it says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. We needed the law to show us how out of love we were, how messed up we were, how we weren't loving properly. That's still why we need rules and laws now. That's why in your house, if you are a parent, you have rules for your kids on how they need to act. Because kids do not love completely regularly because there's a lot of selfishness in them. Same thing for us. We've got a lot of selfishness in us. We're not great lovers. We're not good at this thing. So God has to teach us. That's why the law was put there. It wasn't put there because they were doing such a great job on their own that he's like, man, I'm going to punish these people and see if I can bind them down. He needed them to understand how messed up they were. He also needed them to understand that they couldn't do it on their own, but there would be someone who would come, a savior, a savior, a redeemer, that would come who would fulfill the law for them. Right? To love, with, with complete love, there's no need for law. Now I want to ask you this. What if we didn't have laws today in our society? When Moses got the law, there was no laws in society. We've seen they were pretty corrupt, but imagine how much more 3,000 some odd years later, or 4,000, it'd be pretty messed up. So to continue on, it says, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Till the offspring should come, that's still singular, should come to whom the promise had been made. Now the promise was made to Abraham. But it was also made to the descendants that there would be one offspring that would come. So this is telling us that uh, what I said earlier, it's put in place. Like, so we, laws were put in place to identify the need for the Savior. And we don't ever recognize how messed up we are without actually seeing the law. And uh, I forget, I think Pastor Chad said last week there was like 615 laws uh, for the Jewish people. I think it's actually, a lot of people believe up to 680-something laws. 
Doesn't really matter. If there's more than 10 laws, we're, we're done. We can't even keep the big 10. So it, uh, it's a tough life. So whenever you see that, you start understanding how messed up you are. Or at least I do. Maybe you're like, ha, got it. Nailed it. Not me. I, I look at this thing and I'm thinking, how do I keep messing up? How do I keep messing up? How do I do it over and over? And before I was living for the Lord, like whenever I was 11 or 12 years old and I said the sinner's prayer and I'm like, Lord, I give you, I don't want to go to hell. Save me. That's my whole prayer. For three weeks straight, I said that same prayer. Lord, I don't want to go to hell. Save me. All that did was heap more condemnation on me every time I messed up. Because I thought, well, I just messed up again, I'm going to hell. And I lived that way up until I was in my mid-twenties. And God finally showed me what grace was and what love was and that he paid for that sin. He paid the way for everything I couldn't. But I had to know my need for him. And that's what the law was for, for us to know the need for Jesus. That's what it's all about, our need for Jesus. Okay, we're going to move on. It says, and it it was put in place through angels by intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. This is what they say is the most obscure passage in all of the New Testament. Because when you read it, it's very confusing. Because it says in verse 20, it says, now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. What does that mean? Right? So that's what we're going to discuss here for a minute. Because verse, the end of verse 19 there where it says, and it was put into place through angels by an intermediary. This is talking about when Moses is on the mountain and the law is being brought forth. Okay, This is talking about whenever you start breaking down Jewish words, it means a little bit more uh, things. It's still confusing translation to try to read it, but... What it's telling us is Moses was there with some angels. God's giving the law, and there's a transaction that Moses accepts these laws as what they would follow. God's giving the law. Moses is accepting the law as what they follow, and there's an angel in between. Giving the words. Giving the law. But at this point, this becomes a covenant between the two. God's saying, you follow this, and Moses is saying, we'll follow this. This is now a two-person transaction. To where the promise that Abraham had was a one-person transaction. It was a one-way covenant. Now Moses entered into a covenant saying, we will follow the law. And God said, you will follow the law. And whenever we read a lot of those laws, we know there was death to be paid. That's that's one heck of a covenant, I'll tell you that. And... uh, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't want to enter into a covenant that cost me my life. Right? So Moses is interacting. It's a two-way street in the law. You do good, and God won't be holding it against you. Two-way street. And then it says, now an intermediary implies that implies more than one. So now there's still, he's still saying, okay, there's still this covenant between you and God. Still this covenant. But God is one. It's saying it's one-sided. God's the one paying the price. No longer is it both. Now it's God only. And that's the covenant that was promised to Abraham. It's the covenant that was promised to us when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior that he paid for it. I don't have to earn it. It's that Grace. So verse 19 and 20 is telling you, you were trying to do it on your own, you were trying to earn it on your own, and every time you failed, you were worthy of hell. Verse 20 says, yep, it's true. But because of what Jesus did, every time I fail, grace can cover that. Because I've accepted that covenant between him. When I enter into covenant with Jesus... He paid it all. That offspring paid it all. Not me. I don't have to pay for it anymore. I can let it go. In Galatia, they were still trying to live by the law. They were still trying to heap 
the law on everybody. They're still trying to act like Pharisees were acting. They wanted everybody to do everything right. And whenever they weren't eating properly or they weren't doing anything properly, it was quickly put in their face. Jason talked about it today over in Henderson that, that oftentimes we want to go out and heap rules on people and tell them how they need to act. When the truth is what we need to be heaping on people is Jesus. We need to be telling them, you need to, you need to know Jesus. He'll free you. You need to know Jesus. He paid for what you're going through. Right? But we don't always do that. And the Galatians were doing a horrible job of it. So verse 20 is just referring to the actual grace that Jesus brings to us. It's one way. One-sided. Okay, verse 21 says, Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. I like how quickly he answers that. Is it contrary? Nope. He's fast. He don't want you to think about it too long. Because the law wasn't bad. It was just pointing out how far away we were. Just pointing out how messed up we were. And sometimes your kids can be doing something that they think is okay. Until you say, hey, that's not good. Don't do that. Right? When your kid's punching your other kid in the face over and over and over and over. And you're like, hey, stop doing that. That's, that's hurting that person. They're like, what? It's fun. Right? They really, I mean, you know, I grew up with a brother two years older than me. We loved to fight until our mom told us how bad it was. And we still did it. But we at least knew it was wrong. When our parents came in the room, we realized that, oh, we better stop. We at least knew what was right and wrong. But we didn't know until they told us. There's some things we just get that are wrong, right? Like, inherently we know you should never kill somebody. But there's some things that you got to know because you just don't know, right? For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. The law showed us how wrong we were, right? It said if, it could, if there was one law, if a law could bring life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. All the law showed us was every one of us are failures and every one of us get it wrong and every one of us are not right with God. And it started way back in Adam and Eve's time. The very first sin, they immediately knew they weren't right with God and they're trying to cover themselves. And I won't get into that. That's a whole different message too. But they knew from the beginning that they were wrong. They knew they were separate. Right? So that's what happens with the law. It says there's no law that can give you life. Because all you're going to do is break it. If, if you break one law, you're guilty of all of them is what scripture says. Right? If I lie to somebody, I'm guilty of all of it. There's not one law that says if I get this one right, I get them all right. Not one law that says that. If I get this right, then I've earned my grace. Quite the opposite. It probably is going to make me arrogant if I think that, right? So there's no law that does it. I'm I'm going to give you uh, something I read about Martin Luther who said this. He compared uh, this this text, he compared and grace to... uh, or law and grace to, to money, which I really loved. I loved his comparison here. He says, uh, money cannot buy you justice. I guess worldly it kind of can at times. But with God, money can't buy justice, right? Money can't justify who you are. Money, can't, money can make things a little easier at times, but it can't fix you, you know, Bob and I were talking about earlier, you can make all the money in the world. If you don't have health, what do you do with it? Right? Money can only do so much. If it can't buy you justice and it can't justify you and it can't get you into heaven, do we throw away all the money? Do you just get rid of all your money? Nope. You don't get rid of all your money. Because money still has good. Money still has value. It still is useful. Right? We still need it for certain things. Same thing goes with the law. 
The law don't bring life, but it keeps order. It shows us what we need to do. It also shows us our need for the Savior. So, so whenever we think that, uh, we, we, we wonder sometimes of why God would do things the way he did, just to show us how much we need him and how messed up we are without him. Right? Verse 22, and we ain't got a whole lot longer, just about seven scriptures probably, so, which is probably about half. But this will be quicker. But the scripture imprisoned everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. It's a scary thought that scripture has imprisoned us, imprisoned everything under sin. All this is telling you is that scripture was written to show us how entrapped we are by sin. To show us how bound we are, how messed up our lifestyles are, uh, only to show us how free we could be in Christ. So, if you are a person who may lean a little more legalistic, if you will, following the laws, trying to earn it on your own, you never feel like you're good enough. You know why? Because you never are good enough, and you will never be good enough. If we're trying to to live that away, we're in prison. We're bound by trying to be good enough. Scripture shows us that. You read it throughout all the Old Testament. You read it throughout the New Testament. Scripture shows how bound we are by the law. And I don't know about you, but I remember those times when I just felt I had no hope. Because I was trying to do it on my own. But Jesus. Says by faith. uh, So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ may be given to those who believe. When we believe Jesus takes that. There's a whole different kind of freedom that comes upon us. Now I don't have to do it. I get to be a part of it. Now it's not on me. It's on him. And the moment that happens, there's a freedom. You're taken out of prison, and you're freer than... I mean, I imagine when somebody's been in prison for about 30 years, and they get out of prison, they're probably like, Woo, I'm free. Well, some, some want to go right back. But it doesn't compare to the, the freedom we get when we get out of the bondage of sin. Nothing compares to that. There's a freedom that you cannot explain. You try to explain it, and you just don't get it. But when you get it, it's like Kyle Eidemann said, it's that aha moment. You're like... Whew, that's so good, right? And that's what Jesus does. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Jason talked about this guardian this morning, how... How there's guardians trying to keep us from things. But sin actually kept guard on us. Our law did. It kept guard on us. It tried to keep us from being messed up. It's trying to keep us from uh, sinning. It didn't. All it did was kept bound on us. It kept us bound in our prison. Law did. Because we couldn't earn it. We couldn't do it. And law would constantly tell you over and over and over, you can't do this. Look, you just messed up again. You just lied. Look, you just looked at pornography. You just, you just messed up again. Look, stop doing drugs. You're messing up. You're going to hell. That's what law tells us over and over. Right? Jesus said the different. Jesus said, look, I know you struggle with your addiction. I know this is a problem for you. I set you free from that addiction or from that, from that law of that. Now let's get through it together. So much more freeing when you know Jesus said, I forgive you, and is going to walk through it. And, I, and you may say, like, I don't know, Eddie, that may not be the truth. I'm going to take you right back to the woman caught in adultery. Right? Take you right back to that moment. Because she, God, Jesus did not say, look, I need you to stop doing that, and you're forgiven. He didn't say that. He said, go. He said, I, I, I hold nothing against you. 
Now go and sin no more. Right? He forgave her. And then said, hey, don't do it anymore. Forgiveness came first. That didn't happen with the law. The law has to be paid for first. But Jesus already paid for it. Okay, let me move forward. But now that the faith has come, that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. The law is no longer our guardian. The law doesn't tell us where we're wrong. We're not bound by the law anymore. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. That day that we come to a belief in Christ, we are sons and daughters of God. That moment. And it's through our faith of believing in Him. Verse 27 says, and, and Ryan, you guys can come back up. Uh, I'm going to try to make this quicker. Verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, There is no male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You're all Abraham's offspring. It's still singular. Doesn't go plural. Paul didn't make a mistake. He wasn't like, oh, I probably should have made that plural. He didn't didn't make a mistake. We are the offspring. Right, So the covenant that Abraham brought, or that was brought to Abraham about your offspring will be as numerous as the stars, the day that Jesus Christ died and paid for our sins, that very day, that very day that he went down into hell and left those sins in hell, and then he rose again in his resurrected body. He comes and he's resurrected. The resurrected body was alive. Right? When we have faith in Jesus Christ, we take part of that resurrected body. We become the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Resurrected. We are the we are part of the offspring now. We are now one with Christ as the body. The very thing written way back in Genesis 15 to Abraham was a promise to us. We are part of that. We are part of that offspring, not offsprings. There's one. We are one with Christ because of what Christ did. Not because of law, not because I can earn it, not because of anything other than I have faith in him and he has grace and he loves me. Grace is a hard concept because we often think we got to pay for something. Okay, Lord, I love you and I accept this, but what can I do? I'm going to start doing this, 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 and this. No, you don't have to do that. It's a free gift. Anybody ever got a gift and immediately your first thought was, is, oh, I got to pay you for this. Anybody else done that? I've done it a lot. Oh, let me pay you for that. They're like, no, it's a gift. Right, Because we have a hard time receiving gifts sometimes. We have a very hard time at it. And we have a hard time of receiving grace sometimes. And we have a hard time receiving Jesus sometimes. And salvation. We try to walk it out ourselves. We try to earn it. We try to do things. I heard Michael Jr., comedian, one day say that... Uh, If you can't learn to receive a gift, you'll never have the ability to truly give a gift. The reason why we have a hard time loving other people and letting them have grace and sharing is because we struggle with allowing God's grace to cover us. We struggle with letting it be full in us to knowing that it's enough. And I'm standing up here as somebody who struggles with the same thing. God breaks my heart constantly over things I'm trying to do on my own, I'm trying to earn on my own, right? And if you, you struggle with that today, I want you praying. 
and I'm going to pray with you. But I also want us to make sure that we're praying about how we push this out on others. If we were set free from the law by the grace of Jesus Christ and God the Father, how do we put that back out to other people? Tomorrow when I'm at work or tonight when we're at home or in about 15, 20 minutes when I'm at the restaurant, am I looking at law when I see people of where they're wrong, how messed up they are? Or am I looking at God's grace and how much it would mean to them, how it would bless them? They can't earn God's love. You can't earn God's love. It's a one-sided covenant. One-sided. Now, once you receive that covenant, you believe God's love for you, and you receive that grace, and you're walking in that grace, and you're just set free, God's perfect love changes you. You can't change yourself. God's perfect love does that. And we begin to walk in His love, right? We begin focusing on the mark. We begin focusing on the promised land that God promised us. We do what Abraham does. We leave the past behind and we begin walking forward. And we stop looking to the left and the right and we were just stop. We give all of our thoughts over to the Lord so our bent way of thinking is not in our way of hitting the mark. We can help so many people if we can do that. Now mind you, sometimes your way of thinking can get a little bit bent. Then you take it right back to the Lord. Or you get off target and you go right back to the Lord. Or you mess up. You go right back to the Lord because Jesus paid for that part. We just focus on Him and He'll take care of the rest. I love Galatians because it, it's so good at breaking down how much the church needs Jesus. It is so good at it. I need Jesus. I need to love better and I need to receive love better. I need to walk fully in who Christ is and less of what I can do. So I'm going to close this in prayer. Worship team's gonna they're gonna worship. If you need prayer, we'll be up here. If not, just worship and praise the Lord and thank him for what he's done for us. I thank you guys. Father God, I thank you for your plan, Lord. I thank you for your one-sided covenant, Lord. You didn't tell me I had to do anything to earn it. You didn't tell me that I had to fulfill my half because there's no way I could. But you said you would do it. You made the promise to Abraham way back when, Lord. And I get to be a part of it. I get to be a part of that offspring. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for your salvation. I thank you that you died on a cross for me, Lord. Lord, help me. Help me to receive that. Help all of us receive that salvation you gave us. Clear up our way of thinking, God. Clear up our our misideas of who you are and, and what the world would tell us we need to know or anything else, anything that doesn't line up with you, Lord. Clear that up. You take care of that, Lord. And when we're not walking in your path, God, I pray you bring us right back, Lord. We need you, Jesus. The only way, the only way, Lord, that we'll ever be able to be used in this community is if you come alongside us, God. Is that you would heal our hearts, Lord change our way of thinking. Father God, I pray right now, Lord, that every heart in here would receive that grace that you gave us and would just walk alongside you and with you, Lord. Bring healing today, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray.
Before we head out, I just want to remind you that we have been set free from law, and we've been set free from sin. Jesus paid it all. It's not held against us, and we should never hold it against anybody else. We should never judge. We're always to love. But as Paul also said, should we go on doing what we always did? We should not. Why would you go back to something you've been set free on? Jesus paid for it. Let him have it. Give it to him. We don't have to keep struggling. Will we? Yes. Because we're human and we mess up. But hopefully we get better and better at it. Hopefully we give more and more over to it. Hopefully more and more freedom comes into our life because we remember he did it. It's a one-way covenant. We don't have to do it. Just let him have it. I close in prayer and release us. Uh, I ask you to pray with me on this. It, that for ourselves and for others, that this would be the case, but also for this community. We want to see people set free from the bondage they're in. This is very important. So, Father God, I thank you again, Lord. Thank you for paying the price. Thank you for taking on the law and fulfilling it where we can't. Thank you for taking our sins, Lord. I pray you begin to set us free from it, God. I pray you would help us to let go of the struggles we're going through, Lord, and allow you to take care of them, Lord, allow you to change us, Lord, allow you to change others, God. I pray you would help us not to heap law on anybody else, but instead, Lord, with all that we come in contact with, that we would share you, that we would show your love, God, that we would show your mercy. We would give them grace from us that leads to you, Lord. God, I pray for this community, Lord, that they would come to know that freedom that we know. I pray you would use us where we need to be used to affect those that you want to affect. God, let what we learn from you, God, not stay in these walls, not to stay within us, God, but let us pour it upon others. God, we are your ministers. I pray you use us and bless yourself through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Love you all.